0: Are you looking to grow revenues, increase profitability, or obtain financing? If so, you came to the right place.
1: Running a business is all about leadership. How do you become a better leader? Learn from the successful entrepreneurs and business owners how to lead your organization more effectively. That's why we created Leadership Live at 805. Talking Small Business to help you succeed with your host, Andrew Frazier, Business Growth Pro and CFO and founder of the Small Business Pro University. Every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're joined by experienced entrepreneurs and business owners who share their secrets to success via live stream. Also, every Friday morning, we release a new podcast episode. Either way, you will learn about developing your business leadership skills from our roster of highly performing guest experts. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com.
0: Welcome back to leadership live at eight Oh five. I'm your host, Andrew Frazier, and excited to be back once again, talking small business, my favorite topic. So each week love to really chat with um, someone who has a different area of expertise. You know, there's small business owners, there's small business thought leaders, and really just bringing a perspective and valuable information that can help you to become a better leader at the end of the day your success in business is going to be based on your leadership. So um, this is key information and we appreciate everybody tuning in and look forward to being part of their success where they're with their entrepreneur and business journey. So as you know, um, feel free to type in the chat Ask questions, you know, definitely want to make it as interactive as possible. You know, I have a great guest this evening and we're going to be talking about merchandising secrets. And although we've been doing the live stream for two and a half years every week, um, we've never had an episode focused on merchandising, even though merchandising is so important. So um, I'm excited to have our guest this evening. Um, Guest is Tonelle Edwards and we're going to talk about merchandising secrets. She's the founder of Beauty in the City, but she's had many other businesses as well. She's an accomplished author and writer. She is an accomplished musician and actually has um, songs and other things out that are available too. So um, I look forward to chatting with her. Um, Definitely welcome everybody. Hey, Don, what's going on? Um, Darlene, thanks for tuning in again. And, and this is Christine, good to have you with us again. And definitely excited about the upcoming show. So without any further ado, let me invite Tanil on. Hey Tenille, how are you doing this evening?
2: Hi Andrew, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing?
0: Excellent, excellent. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to chat this evening and share some of your experience and expertise.
2: I'm really excited um, to be on the call today. Um, I know when you uh, presented the opportunity to me and we talked about merchandise, and it's something I'm really passionate about. You know, when I Beauty in the City, just to give a little background, is been in business for about a year now. And so as a beauty startup, when you look at beauty, the startup phase is usually two to three years. It has a lot to do with finding momentum with your products, finding your hero product and acquiring the customer. You know, when you look at beauty as a business, acquiring the customer is very expensive. Um, and so it, if you're in retail, it's a different way that you look at the costs, right? Because there is cost, there are costs associated with being in retail. And then if you're in e-commerce, it's the costs related to your ads and other things like that. And so okay. we're really in the process of um, still acquiring new customers, Still looking at our product mix that has a lot to do with merchandising, too, because you have to have a match for what's going to retail and a match for what's going to customers. And then also the product mixes with the branding. Right. You may have high end products and that may be a little bit of a different packaging than what you have for your mid tier product line. And you want to differentiate those as well. So there's a lot of pieces to um, the journey. I've been learning a lot um, and I have to, you know, constantly read and stay up to date on what's going on in the beauty industry, as well as um, what's going on in terms of trends of ingredients that are being used and things like that, because it all plays into how we can get retailers on board, but also how do we speak to customers in order to actually ultimately make the sale. Um, So there's a couple of pieces to it.
0: Okay. So no, definitely you've shared some good stuff, but you know all this stuff like it's the back of your hand. So we're gonna we're gonna go slow. For, okay. You know. Okay.
2: That's, fair. <laughs> That's very fair. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. So but um but talk you know, just talk a little bit about your journey before and how you got to where you are now.
2: Okay, so um I started out as an entrepreneur, um, really getting my start writing books. Um and I wrote a children's book series, um, the first green African-American children's book series in the States called Jordan and Justine's Weekend Adventures. Um, I toured 25 Barnes and Nobles. I toured libraries, dozens of libraries. We did uh, dozens of children's museums here um, in New York City. We've done the Children's Museum of Manhattan, Children's Museum of Brooklyn. I've done several other museums in Manhattan and the city. Um, I've done quite a few things in New Jersey as well. So there's a lot of things I did with that book. In terms of merchandising for that book, I feel like that's where I touched ground with merchandising. Um, it has to do with the look and feel of the product. Then when you speak to the people at Barnes and Nobles, sometimes they want specific things that have to be in the product. Sometimes they're going to put stickers on it, right? Sometimes they want to know if there's certain things you can print on it. Um, and some of those answers would end up being no, because you know, um, at that time I had a distribution deal, but I wasn't, a, I'm not a large publishing company, right? We weren't a large publishing company. Um, But when we looked at, well, once the book gets in the store, right? So you want to get into the store. Once the book gets into the store, how are you going to sell? Part of the merchandising piece is asking the the bookstore owners, well, where are you going to put the book, right? Are you going to put it on a side shelf? Are you going to put it on a a table in the front? Um, How long are you going to give it that positioning? Um, Do you have any... Signings where I can come in, and that way I get positioning at the front with a sign that the author is going to be there. Um, Do you want me to come in in advance and sign copies? Because then they can present that and put a sign up in store. So, a lot of in store displays to highlight what um, to highlight your product and also anything special about the product. That is an important call out to consumers in busy stores. Um, What I found is that stores where the where the managers were really passionate about what we were offering because we were the first African-American Green Children's book series. And they loved that we had um, the star character was an African-American male. They thought it was a a big deal. Not every store loved it, but the stores that ordered, a lot of them, that was a a big push for them. And the content was really good. The stores that put us in the front, we actually had um, stores in Baltimore that put us in the window. Um, like if we would come out for an author's day, they would um, we, they would agree to put us in the window. I didn't ask for that. I do. I did ask for um, front positioning, positioning with signs, things like that. I think that these are things that we have to be aware of when we're looking at merchandising, because just getting in the store is not enough. Right. Because what happens is if you get in the store, it doesn't matter if we're talking books, doesn't matter if we're talking Target. Right. Um, what happens if you don't sell all your your stuff just goes back, they return it. And so it ends up costing you because it's a chargeback, right? And so when they charge it back, it ends up being that you offer it to them at a price of a discount and the chargeback, it's like a complete refund. And so you don't make anything out of it. And sometimes you're getting charged the cost of shipping and other things. And so you don't want that to happen if you can help it. And so some of the agreements also that we made when we talked to um, the uh, booksellers, I would ask them, well... If I come in, you ordering forty books for the day, if we don't sell all forty books that day, what will you do with the books? Because you need to know I need to know that you're not going to pack them in a back shelf someplace because this is a new series. People may not come in and ask for it. they have to have a level of visibility. There's still a point of merchandising, right It's not um not so um it's you know we didn't have a point of purchase display completely like you know was when you might go in the cvs and you'll see um you know in the aisle you may see um a cover girl cover girl call out or you may see a call out for a lotion brand or something like that or you may go to the register and you see these point of purchase where people are making purchases those are more so point of purchase displays where they're doing like they've got the gum and things like that right But more so you want to know if you're in the bookstore, um, I need to know that I'm going to be out on a table because the type of book that we had didn't have a spine. It was saddle stitch because it's a children's book, right? It's not a novel. So if you put it inside of a shelf, it's completely lost. I need to know how is it going to be displayed? That's an important part of merchandising because with or without my presence inside the store, we need to be able to sell the books. You also, another point in merchandising is making sure that the store orders enough. And there's also a point of not getting too much order, right? Sometimes if you go to, you know, you're with a retailer, um, you what may happen is that they may order too much product and then it's inevitably returned because the marketing support is not there. And also it, you haven't had a chance to build an audience within the store at that location, right? Um, especially if they want to go national. So one way that um, I look at it is I try to, Find out what they, you know, what their interests are in ordering and where they're going to place it. So those are some of the things that I learned um, and really developed when I uh, skills around just having the key questions. Right. You don't need to be an expert. You need to think about key questions that you can ask. And more of it is asking yourself, well, what is the customer journey? And you can even ask yourself this when you're looking at your e-commerce store now that this is more, um, commonplace that people, this is their first place that they're merchandising their products. You want to always ask, what's the customer journey? What is the customer seeing? How am I promoting the product, right? In addition to what the product looks like and what it's communicating on the front. That's also part of it, right? So that's your part of it. And then the store part of it, if it's your e-commerce store, then you have to look at the customer journey there. If it's a retail store, you want to look at the customer journey there. If you have wholesale customers, um, in the case of the books business, we would have librarians would be our customers and we'd have to, they would only order through Baker and Taylor, but then there were requirements that Baker and Taylor had. And we also had to work with certain distributors to get into Baker and Taylor. So you wanna fulfill those requirements and you also wanna have an eye out on how you are going to acquire those customers? Um, Cause they're a little bit different than acquiring like a Barnes and Noble customer. Um, we did a lot of library shows. Um, you still, they still want you to be available sometimes to come in and, um, do like author workshops and things like that. And so when you think about it, you just wanna know each set of customers, but then when you look at the product, what is it they need in the packaging? What's required in, you know, when at that point, if you're looking at books in the print, what's required in the materials and the write-up that I'm using to sell to them, which is in the wholesaling system. If you're looking at uh, Baker and Taylor, some of those things um, just have an idea. In addition to that, Once, you know, so I did my uh, book selling business. We had a very successful run with Jordan and Justine's Weekend Adventures. Then I was also able to do um, some teen novels as well and kind of with our connections with the Barnes and Nobles and some of the libraries, um, also push that through and get some touring done with that. Um, And that, in in terms of merchandising, was a big start for me. And then I started several years later, Beauty in the City. um, And here we are with a totally different type of merchandising, but a lot of the... um, Core questions that you would ask yourself that you need to answer and kind of have a plan around are very similar.
0: Okay. Okay. No, definitely. Great. I mean, you've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, so we're, we're going to unpack some of that. Okay. Um, to, just to really uh, make sure we focus on key things that people need to understand and also give people a chance to ask some questions.
2: That sounds um, perfect.
0: So, but but no, this is going to be a real exciting um, show. So definitely this great, great start. Um, one thing I want to do before we get started is, um, you know, we do this through the Small Business Pro University. So it's kind of good to know what the Small Business Pro University is. So i got a one-minute video, and we um, am going to just take a quick break. We'll be back with Tanil and we'll be talking about merchandising secrets. Looking forward to it. Do you own your business or does it own you? Is your business growing and are you making enough money? As a business owner, there are so many things you need to know to become more successful. Hello. My name is Andrew Frazier, the Business Growth Pro and CFO. I created the Small Business Pro University for you. Small Business Pro University has self-paced, dynamic multimedia learning experiences created by more than 20 instructors who are business owners just like you. Small Business Pro University will empower you to become a masterpreneur by learning the secrets to creating a successful enterprise to go from working in your business to working on your business. Take advantage of our strategic coaching program or just simply choose the courses that you need at www.sbprou.com. We will empower you to thrive and not just survive and make more money in any business environment. All right, welcome back. I'm here with Tennille Edwards, talking small business. She's sharing uh, merchandising secrets. Um, You know, merchandising is critical if you have a product based business, especially, and you know, there's it's a lot more than just having a product and having it for sale somewhere. So, um, you know, there's a lot of detail and other things that can go into it. And you know, each product, each situation, each distribution channel um, may have different, um, you know, key things that you need to set up in terms of merchandising, but also there's an overriding. Uh, methodology that can help you decide, you know, how you may want to merchandise from a strategic level. So, Tanil, we're going to be talking about merchandising, but it's always good to define what things are before we go into it too far, just so everybody's on the same page. So, you want to just um, give a quick definition of what merchandising means to you so we can just um, start from there
2: me, merchandising is really looking at everything related to the product in the store from when it gets into the store until when it leaves with the consumer's hands. That it looks at the branding of the product, right? People have to know it's your brand. How does, is it identifiable? Do they know what the product is? Is that printed on the label? Um, and then the labeling of the product, the packaging of the product, all these things relate to merchandising. And then additionally, the promotions that go on in the store, placement of where the product is, right? What shelf is it on? Where is it at in the store? Um, the Is it in the right section at the store, right? And then additionally, um, any promotions that you can offer, whether it's offering something free with the product or something, you know, that's an add-on that people can get, whether it's a download or a... Um, you know, sometimes there's a little free product that you'll see connected to a, a package, right? Or is it, are these the promotions that come with the store, right? And they, they charge you for these to be honest, to be frank, right? If you're in these stores um, and you're gonna join their cooperative marketing, there is a cost, but it's part of merchandising because you have to understand how basically are you going to move the product? Once it's in this distribution channel, how are you going to be able to move it? Um, And I think that merchandising really looks at all of the promotion that goes on with that product. Um, And I do think it has a lot to do with the packaging as well.
0: Excellent. Okay. So, so really display packaging and then each distribution channel, it's different, right? I guess the main channels would be online, retail, um, wholesale. Yes. Um, Can you, is, and you know, let me know if those are the main three or if there's something else in addition. And can you explain each of those so that people can help? Well, you
2: know. I think it depends on particularly what type of product you have. For example, for us, we have beauty products. So a couple of weeks ago, I was on the phone with Home Shopping Network. What they talk about and what they're looking for is going to be very different than when I'm on the phone with a buyer from Nordstrom's or Bloomingdale's, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And even
2: then, because those are department stores, their needs are going to be different than if I'm in a traditional beauty store like an Ulta Beauty, right? So, the distribution channels, those are all forms of retail. But then, you know, you've got one that's television and they have a certain type of audience in a way that they sell products. Then you've got others that when you're in a department store, they want someone to be able to come to the store and buy everything that they need ideally. It doesn't happen, but at least a couple of departments. And then when you have some, you know, you're looking at a beauty-focused store, then really it's super competitive because there's a hundred of you guys in this store on the floor, right? And so the merchandising, I do believe the aspects and the nuances of it change. There's some big um, overarching themes that won't change, right? Still, the product and the packaging, still, you still need to know what's going to go on on the shelf. Are you going to have Some sort of call out for me on the shelf. Am I going to be in the proper section? Some of these things matter, right? Um, Where am I going to be in the store, right? Those things kind of don't change. But then when you're in the larger stores, you want to know some other things. What are the cooperative marketing opportunities, right? What kind of support are you going to do to bring people in the store? And then also looking at um, are there sometimes they have like times of the year they can rotate you in or they can do sampling with your products. And so I do think it matters. Wholesale is going to be a little different, right? So you're saying um, the you're talking about um, distribution channels, the wholesaler, because they want to sell again for us, what we would consider what I would consider potentially a wholesaler, um, because there's. Not a lot. Like sometimes there are wholesalers that will buy your product for and sell them to beauty supply stores. Um, I don't participate in that at this stage. Again, we're just one year in the business and I can't be everywhere. Um, And also that it doesn't give me a lot of control of where my brand is seen and how my brand is placed so much because then it's the wholesaler putting you in that store. You don't have as much say or the connection with the store opener as much but we are looking at spas and other things, right? And so to me, that's a little bit of a different channel Um, and they have different needs. What I love about it is that they use the products. And so demonstration for beauty, you have to know your product, but for beauty, if you wanna move a lot of product, people actually have to be able to try that product and they need to be able to trial it, right? So that's a big difference with if CVS says they want us versus Sephora says they want us, right? Well, Sephora gives out trial uh, and they can do trial sizes right that's still merchandising because then it tells me how am i going to move my product once it's in the store because i don't want a return a return is no money yes i was in the store but you're actually costing me money when you return this so i the merchandising aspect is so important and you have to understand what is the store offering that's going to help your product right for some people cvs is going to be amazing if you've got lotion nobody needs to try that if you've got a good claim on there people are going to buy that right but if you're talking about lipstick, you're talking about bronzer, you're talking about showing women how to use these things, people do have to get a chance to experience it. So there's that's also telling you which partnership to take because you understand the merchandising that will go on in the store to move the
1: product.
0: Okay, okay. So, you know, you talked about, um, you know, different merchandising being um You know each place having its own merchandising nuances now you know i've I've talked to a lot of business owners who are like you know i have a product i want it to get i want to get it into a store and you know that may be a good strategy that may not be a good strategy um how do you evaluate and what are your thoughts no so well let's start with the big store you know you have a product you want to get into a large store You know like a walmart like a cvs like a sephora um how do you evaluate um whether it could make sense and what are some of the things that you should make sure that you take a look at um to you know to see if it um to understand whether it's going to be a successful um, relationship
2: okay i think the first thing that you have to understand is their customer If there's a store you wanna be in, you have to go to that store several times. Look, not just the same one, in your area, have an idea, right? Because for example, when I first started this business, I was like, oh, to be in Target would be great. What I noticed is that there are other um, indie beauty brands that Target has, but they're not in every Target in my area. When I go to Target, I went to them several times, each of them. I didn't see a lot of people gravitating toward those brands. I found also the beauty departments were very um, crowded with a lot of different products. And so you've got somebody who has an $8 eyeshadow palette next to a beauty brand that may be selling eyeshadows at $15 that actually does nothing for your product. Why? In part that's the merchandising. You have to understand where are you going to put me? Are you putting me next to $8 L'Oreal? L'Oreal's great. I'm not going to knock them. We're vegan. <laughs> this is a totally different thing. But people have to understand that, right? And we need to be in a different section, perhaps, where you have more um, elevated products um, that may cost a little bit different. Now, some targets have launched new, since we launched new um models of how they um, have their beauty section but understanding all of this makes sense right so the point is not so much about target but the point is to shop the stores you're interested in and go to several in your area and take about two or three months to understand am i seeing people in these stores what's going on what are the buying habits of the customers what are people gravitating towards what are my competitors other indie brands or other brands that have similar products in a similar price range where are they being placed Are there any promotions for these brands? Because this is telling you the merchandising aspect that's going on in your category with brands that are similar to you. So then you can start to think about, well, are they offering things that will help my brand move if I don't see these brands moving that much? So you have to be thinking about that. Right. Then the other piece of it is um, when you speak to the buyers, you have to you know, it's not just enough. It's like, oh, and I got my first two buyers calls. I'm like, yes. I got some buyers on the line. They're going to order me in the city. This is going to be amazing. Yes, except sometimes the buyer, they get on the line. They may or may have not read your deck because you have to have a, a retail deck for these folks that talks about, and in your retail deck, there has to be a section that's going to talk about what you as a brand can bring to the merchandising. Do you want to do in-store demos? That's part of it, right? Because we talked about merchandising being once the product's in the store, all promotions that are going to move that product. So that a customer walks home with that so you have to think about what you can offer and what you can do once you're in this store to make the products move because being on a shelf as a new brand unknown may not do anything now if your product has um a before and after it does something you know we take a look at this woman in the 90s who started this shapewear no one else was doing it great you're going to make somebody look like they lost 15 pounds and nordstrom's is the only store they can get it in Nobody has to know you. Someone's going to do a write-up, you'll sell out. But for most of us, it is now 2022. You have to know what the catch is and be doing some promotions in the store. And so you have to think about these things as well. I think when you talk to the buyers, be prepared, right? So that you have some questions because it's a relationship. It's not, please take my product at all costs. That's nuts. And you'll go bankrupt. You're trying to create a relationship with them, and you want to know from the buyer what kind of merchandising can you offer, what kind of um, promotion, because some of them cost, right? Sometimes it costs to have a little call out on the shelf. So it's definitely going to cost if you're in, if you, everybody you see in the flyer, you know, whatever. If you're at Targets or wherever they're giving out a flyer, or an e-flyer, that costs, right? And they sometimes they charge it by the quarter, um, and you want to know these things. Another thing, I don't know if it goes on in every sector, but infamous um, since the pandemic, a lot of um, beauty buyers, they want people to be on online. Even when I was on the call with HSN, they had their buyer on for their show, but they also had their buyer on for the online because to them, they're looking at omni channel. The problem with online is you have to ask them questions. Are you going to put us in your emails and how often? Um, because again, beauty is experiential and people, are you going to be sending out videos or links to videos so people can see it? You have to think about it. How am I going to move the product? It's not just about the order. There are brands who are getting these orders and you're on the internet on Nordstrom's or something and nobody can find you, right? It's like, well, if you're on Nordstrom's, I'm on my web, I'm on my website too. So tell me Nordstrom, how are you going to move, help me move products so we both make money? Those are things you have to think about. It's part of the merchandising aspect because if you don't get that level of support, you won't be moving any merchandise. And that's the goal. Well,
0: and that's the name of the game, right?
2: That's More what it is. Merchandise. That's what
0: it's about. So, okay. No, that that's excellent. So, you know, one quick question um, from Will. He wanted to know what is a retail deck? Uh,
2: okay. Um, so basically it's a presentation that talks about your brand, right? So you're gonna start out talking about, um, for me, I start talking about what beauty in the city is. You wanna have a slide or two in the beginning that also is gonna talk about why this store that you're presenting to, there's a connection. So you wanna do some research on the store and find out if they have any gaps. You know, Let's say you sold sheets for some reason, right? Maybe they don't have, you know, a thousand count sheets and you sell a thousand count sheets. Whatever the case is, you may say, well, we're perfect for your store because this is what we offer and you currently don't have this. There may be an initiative they have to bring in more of your type of brand. Then you may mention that also in the beginning as you're talking about your brand. And then you'll talk about how your brand is a match and a connect for their brand. Then you'll start to go into um, research. So here's the thing, when you're doing a retail deck, right? you want to show that you understand that there is a customer need now if you have a product mix we've got about 12 products or so you don't need to show that there's a need for every single product you have you do have to show that there is a need for a few at least one or two hero products what's a hero product these are the products that your customers are buying most right these are your top products here's what research is showing right so you may say Um, Research shows that people are getting a better night's sleep with this and it needs to be current, needs to be last year or this year, right? Um, And you'll put some quotes in there and talk about how this is a match for what the customers are currently looking for, your product, how your product is a match for what the customers are currently looking for. Then you'll start to get into your plan. Well, here's what we're doing to um, grow the brand. Here's the vision for the brand for this year. Um, Here's some of our marketing tactics and, you know, areas that we're focused on. Just a couple two or three. Um, The other thing you'll have after that is merchandising. What you're going to have is here's what your brand looks like in their store. Now you may go in their store and take pictures of displays and say, listen, these three displays in your store, we can do this. Our brand would look great like this. We want these points of merchandising, right? You see a call out in the middle of the um, aisle. This is what we want. You know, we can do this, we should do this. This is going to capture customers' attention. Then you may talk about other things that you can do in-store. We can offer um, in-store samples. We can offer, um, we can come in and do demos, right? We can offer um, social media uh, demos as well. Also, what you'll talk about is your suggested products. Just because you have 10 products or five products doesn't mean all of them are for the store. Or you may have some products that you think are you want to make exclusive for that store. So that's kind of the rundown of what this would look like. And then at the end, you should ask a pointed question. It is a deck, but well, you're here to sell. Sell is not a dirty word, right? Sell is important. It's the only way we all make money. So you have to ask something like, um, what else would you like to see um, from me um, in order for you to make your first order? Something to that effect, right? Where you're it's like a soft close. You're not pushing up against the wall, do you wanna buy us? But you're asking what else can we offer you to help you make this decision? Something on that level. Those decks, um, sometimes they review it the first time you're on the call. Um, I find that happens maybe one out of three retail phone calls, then the other ones, they, sometimes they review it while you're on the call or they look at it later, I guess. Most of the time what I see them doing absolutely is when you're on the call, they pull up your website So your website should be heavily the graphic style. It does, you know, your brand colors, um, the graphic quality of your website should also be um, represented as a high quality PowerPoint as well. So it should all connect. I hope that answers your questions. Um, But if you have any others, let me know.
0: Okay, no, I mean, definitely that's a great, um, and not just for merchandise, those, that You know, research is is important. Like you're talking, a lot of the stuff you're talking about is research and preparation uh, for what you're going to do. And um, that's so important and so valuable. Um, So, but even that deck, you know, having the deck is great, but making the deck can even be more valuable to you than having the deck because yes. you really figured out the answers to the key things, and then you can talk to it easily as opposed to not having done that preparation. So, um, no, this is, this is going great. I'm um, sharing a lot of valuable knowledge. We're going to take another break. Um, you know, definitely, you know, I guess you're on fire. So uh, got <laughs> <you're> big fans, <laughs> and uh, you know, one thing that we did recently um, and many people know I do power breakfast events. So for the past 10 years, we've been doing events for entrepreneurs and business owners and we just had one recently. And um, you know, this is the flyer. We had some great sponsors and and really some tremendous sessions. Um, so what I just want to let people know is that um, you know, each of these sessions we also live streamed and recorded. So there's an opportunity to check them out even if you didn't weren't there to participate. And you know, we had Sean Reyes, Reyes who talked about personal branding. We had Darrell Gunther who led a panel on business development and for market leadership. We had Angela Durham talk about epic leadership. And then I led a panel where we talked about financial leadership and what you need to know as a business owner to lead your organization financially successful.
1: So um,
0: I'm going to put up the link to the replays or the recordings. So you're welcome to check them out. And just in case you've never been to the Power Breakfast, I got a short video that will let you know what it's all about. So we'll be back with Camille shortly and we'll go from there. If you are looking to increase revenues, improve profitability, and or obtain financing for your business, you need to check out the Power Breakfast and Small Business Pro Conferences. My name is Andrew Frazier. One of the things we're here to do is supercharge your day.
1: Today's Power Breakfast has really been a phenomenal experience. Uh, I think it's exactly what business owners need uh, some true guidance of people who are genuine and really are leading them in the true direction of business growth and expansion. The Power Breakfast is so important for the entrepreneurial community because it gives the various business people who come together an opportunity to interact and also do some business.
0: These events hosted by Andrew Fraser. President and COO of Small Business Like a Pro will supercharge your debt. Okay, welcome back. I'm here with Tennille Edwards. We're talking about merchandising strategies. So we've, we've talked a lot about the marketing side of merchandising strategies but business is about making money and, you know, there's some key things financially that you got to understand. If you're going to merchandise in terms of, you know, one, you know, what's the cost structure for you? You know, what type of pricing do you have to have and how does it translate into the retail price? Cause it sort of goes backwards from there, I believe. And, you know, so, Definitely that. And then also you talked about a lot of things that you have to do um, that cost extra. So, you know, how do you ensure you're making a profit and how do you plan for that? Uh, So what are some of the tricks and and things to make sure you you take into account?
2: I think those are really... um... Mm -hmm pointy questions that are um, very helpful and valid, Andrew. So thank you for that. Um, what I feel that is really key when you're looking at what is it gonna cost you? Um, and this is whether you're doing your own site, like, and, and you you can have both, right? I mean, at this point, looking at the economy, so many businesses are you know looking at omni-channel, right? Which is multiple channels. So your e-commerce site is really important as well as if you're moving into stores and then wholesale and also, looking at different ways to move into stores and that's where you can approach um other small businesses that may want to um rep your product so not such you know not being a big box store but you know a little box store too okay when we look at pricing let's start i'll start with the big and go down to the retail um go, go big big box small box your store the big box they're going to want um at least 50 percent. that's a minimum 50 percent off um retail price is what they want you to charge them sometimes they want more sometimes they want 55 sometimes they want 60. um what i know is that terms for retail i can't speak for every industry i do know i read this um with recent uh beauty news is that for terms for retail has changed a a little bit in the past um 12 months because more people want to go omni-channel so more Beauty businesses that used to be um, direct-to-consumer, DTC, are now trying to get into retail because DTC is a little harder. Why is direct-to-consumer a little more challenging? Mainly thanks to the iOS update. So when it first came out, I said to myself, well, you know, Apple is not allowing people's information. What's the big deal? Because I use an Android, right? But actually, 70% of the phones are Apple, If if not a little higher than that. Um, And so the problem is that most customers, you're not able to properly target them. So the ad spend, it's very hard to number one, get the pixels to work properly so that they know how to identify your customers without spending thousands of dollars. Um, And so now I was speaking to a colleague of mine and we're saying, oh, you know, um, brands are now putting in their business plan. They have to have a certain amount of money in their funding raise just for social media ads because the cost is so high to find the right customer. Brands that started a while ago, they have an advantage because their Pixel already understands the customer and what it's gonna do is find the profile of their five, 10,000 customers they already had that came through Facebook or Instagram. And then it's gonna go out and and, and be able to replicate that, right? Do some some sort of lookalike, even though lookalike is not really working that well either, to be honest. Um and Look, a lot of big brands in retail are actually uh, moving away from online only, and they're going omni-channel to stores. Okay, so what does this mean? It's meaning that retail is getting a little more um, selective about about the indies they take because they now have bigger brands that want to come into the store, bigger DTC brands that already have a customer base. And so when they become more selective, they can also push and ask for higher margins in their favor. So by asking you to give a bigger discount. Okay, now when we look at smaller, like the small stores, right? So we know retail wants at least 50%. If you look at small box, somebody who has two stores, somebody, you know, you may get a chain that has 10, but even if you get one or somebody has one store, two stores, do uh, you may offer them a discount that's around 25%. Um, That's more standard, 30% would be nice. And how I price it is I price it based on how much they purchase, right? So you've got to purchase a certain number, a few dozen, two dozen, you get up to this, you know, we, we step ladder it up as an incentive. Um, the more you order then you'll know as you grow the brand in your store you're going to actually be making money for the products we try to still offer them um, things that we can do in store but when you look at the straight costs you don't have to offer them as large of a discount because they're you're not getting some of the benefits of retail um, that you're getting there um, when you look at your store of course there's no discount but you still want to think about pricing because you will want to offer discounts to new customers right and so that's another big thing. So Andrew, you brought up a good point about pricing, right? So now you know your discount spaces and you'll know big retails 50%, 25 to 30 or 32% you're gonna offer small box. Then you've got your store where you may wanna offer, um, you know, what is your high? You have to ask yourself, what's my highest discount am I gonna offer? And I'm gonna offer um, free shipping over this amount, right? So you want some of that factored into the pricing, right? In addition to that, as we all know, materials costs have gone up astronomically. All of my um, manufacturers that manufacture my products have gone up this year. There's no guarantee they won't go up next year. But you can't raise prices on customers every, you know, two, uh, not two months, but you know, every six months. I mean, I know Starbucks does it. I feel like I go in there and I'm like, oh my god, this was six thirty, and now it's seven fifteen, and now it's like nuts. Um, but for those where you're looking to really establish a customer base um and your newer brand you want to be sensitive to that you don't want to lose customers because it costs so much to acquire new customers right and so you want to be smart about it where you may be able to if you say this year my product let's say it costs twenty dollars right um the product may need to cost you now see beauty is it's an expensive marketing push. But you have to understand how much you have to spend on marketing to acquire the customer, even on your website. You have to ask yourself that. And then you also have to couple that with research online and find out what research is saying about the average customer acquisition costs that has to factor in across product pricing. So then you'll know how much to charge, right? So if the product costs you $10 to manufacture, and you charge $20 for the product, you're priced out. Why? If you go to retail, they want 50% discount, so you'll be at cost. So there's no way you can charge that, right? Because retail is the top margin and then all the other discounts come down, plus you have to have in, not just the margin, but you have to have a certain amount. You need to tally up your marketing budget for the year and then estimate how much you believe that you're gonna sell and factor that into the cost of those units, right? And so you want to look at this as globally and understand what is it going to cost you to sell the product, to fulfill the product, right? There's a few other things on your website that count, and then also with retailers, with retail, all these things you still have to fulfill the product. It has to be shipped at each point, right? You have to think about well, what if I get three percent um, returns back, right? I mean, I don't know, that might be a miracle, but it depends on what store. I mean, Nordstrom's takes anything back. You, you brought this a year ago, use it to zero and they're taking it back, it's nuts. But the point is um, you wanna kind of factor this in. You don't have to have that all known, but you do wanna kind of have some generalizations. I think the research is gonna guide you so that you understand this is the general cost to acquire a customer. Then you have to ask yourself, if your goal is to be in a retail store, you have to know the minimum they're going to ask for is 50%. That is the minimum. Many will ask for 60%. So you have to know that margin and put that into it. Then you have to know what your marketing cost is. Then you need to estimate based on this marketing, I should be able to sell this amount right within each channel so i'm going to sell this amount online and i spent this much to market on my e-commerce i'm going to sell this amount in store because i spent this much um to send people to the store because it's not enough just to be in the store you should ideally be doing something to send people to the store and build your list and build awareness there and then also to be in the store once you start to build a relationship with a retailer and have an agreement you'll start to you have to ask them some questions about what the in-store marketing is so you can build that into your cost right but if you don't know that in advance you need a cushion you have to make some estimates do some research what's the average it's going to cost me to go into a retailer what's the average cooperative marketing cost right and so you want to put all of these things into your factor all of these things in and then you can factor this into your product costs based on looking at how many products you're estimating to sell across each channel now best laid plans don't always work out. So in addition to that, there has to be some contingency in there, right? You have to think like that because you don't know what's gonna change. Now, and you wanna set a good price. You don't wanna be afraid to increase the price because you know costs are increasing, but you shouldn't be doing that more than once a year if you can help it. Um, that would make the most sense because you're a small business um, and still trying to build customers, right? And it just costs so much to acquire a customer. These are things that I think um, you would really look into. I mean, is there anything else do you think I missed, Andrew, or I should cover? But I think that's the gist of it. Um, I I think those those are some of the key things.
0: Um, one one other piece is, um, you know, you've got your product. You know, if you're going to sell to a large retailer, there's a minimum that they're going to need to buy. Um, oh yes,
2: normally and- ten thousand. Okay. Um, so, I can't speak for every product, but if you have a consumer product and you're talking to a big box store, their minimum is 10000 per unit. So when you ask Andrew about financing, that's another thing, right? So you have to ask yourself a couple of things. Again, you'll want to know what their cost is to be in the store because you'll have to have that money. That's not financeable. Meaning if you want to participate in cooperative marketing every quarter and they're charging 10 grand for the website and another, you know, 10 grand for some other thing, you have to know where, you, where you're going to have that money from. But then also they're going to offer. So they usually want to order 10,000 per unit. And no matter how you try to get them to um, you may say, well, why don't we start out with these four products? They're going to order what they like from your your selection. Right. Um, you can do factored financing. You can faxer against the invoice. Right. And so I encourage everyone to look at that. That's an opportunity. Um, in addition to, you know, it's really hard to get traditional loans um, without having the actual you can get them, yeah, but you will have to put something up um, collateral wise if you want to do that. Um, but the factoring makes sense in a lot of ways, because once you have the invoice, you factor against it and you have the money there and they just take a portion of the invoice because retail also, they're not going to pay you in 30 days. Mm-hmm. So, you 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 know, that may be a good opportunity there to um, keep free cash flow flowing. Um, so there how, how are would... other ways, but I would encourage people to research to find out different ways that you can. Finance. There's a lot of articles out there and just ask, how do I finance my retail, you know, my retail order, how people are financing them. And a lot of people speak about it um, and how they're getting creative with ways to finance um, and once they get orders.
0: Okay. So now, um, you know, you're, if you're financing it, um, you know, you've got your order. How, factoring is not inexpensive so that that also needs to be factored into your your cost structure yes
2: because it eats into your profit margin so retail already wants a 50 percent discount so you're already cut down right from what you would make if you had this huge bulk sale in another channel but then the other piece of it right is that the factoring they're going to take a piece of the invoice immediately so once it's paid
0: Right. So, And how long do they usually take? You said it's not 30 days, so what what does it usually look Um, like?
2: It could be 90 days. Sometimes it's longer. Mm. We're not in a big box, but according to my research, I've seen one thing and for those of you that are out here um, that are in beauty, um, I subscribe to Beauty Independent. They have a couple of articles on this. um, And sometimes the retailer takes longer than that because they're not... It's not like working for a company or something where they have like a set thing, they will do it, but there's other factors involved because what they do is they make chargebacks on a lot of things. Inventory shrinkage, that's a chargeback. Oh, um, I don't know, you sent 10,000 units, 500 units got smashed. They don't care. They're charging it back to you. Um, and I'm not sure that insurance covers it, but I saw several um, business owners complaining about that. And so there's a few other little factors in there. I think that factor into when they tally up your total amounts that they send you and they have certain things they, and they have chargeback involved as well. So it's, it's lucrative, but the payments are slow. And I could be, I definitely think it's 90 to 120, a hundred percent. Sure. Okay. on that. So at that a minimum.
0: That's a long time. So, you know, one thing that, you know, is key. And I usually talk to people, you, you know, you don't, want to start in a big box unless you have a whole bunch of money um it would seem because you know there's a lot of risk uh, your profitability level um is limited um I mean, a lot of times as a smaller business your cost structure is worse than your com- competition as well which cuts into your profits and um so you know, it can be a different, and and you don't have the branding or the market awareness. So, um, you know, where do you recommend people start? You know, when as a small business,
2: I think that um, of course your e-commerce is the is the best, right? Mm-hmm. I think that also looking at small box places where you may be able to get in one store, the person there's just one store. Um, that's places that we're looking at now. There's like specialty pharmacies that are known for beauty in the city, right? Beauty. <laughs> we're beauty in the city but beauty in Manhattan (laughs) which is beauty in the city right um and so there's specialty pharmacies that are known for that um in this region and so you want to speak to them right and we are speaking to spas right and they're usually just one or two off I think from my perspective for a small business um it's the easiest place because the discount is lower right you don't have to give them 50 percent you can give them starting at 25 percent then the other piece of it is that they're paying for the product in cash upon delivery those are the terms when you're working with them now sometimes some of the smaller shops especially post pandemic because their business um demand has changed some shops ask for consignment we're not able to do that um but most of the shops, especially the spas, they understand this is a known business. They pay for, they pay cash on delivery of the product, um, and you can still offer some opportunities for marketing. And you still want to ask those questions, right? Because you want to know how is the product going to move. I think that's the best place to start. When I look at e-commerce, th- again, there are some tra- challenges acquiring a customer, but it depends if you're in consulting business, if you're if you're selling high end products, right? High end beauty is moving. Um, consulting business depending on how much you charge, there's an opportunity because you can absorb some of the advertising costs and you don't need as many customers, right? You're not trying to move 500 units. You're trying to get four people, right? You have to kind of know your numbers. And I think that that's a great way and your site is a representation. You have to also know, um, no matter which channel you want in this, your website is the first place everyone goes. People should be able to learn how to use your product there. They need to know what it is. It must be current. Everything that you're selling that's current, anything that's new, anything that you would want to talk about on a call with someone or in person for a product presentation should be on the site, easily found, if not available somewhere on that homepage.
0: Okay. Excellent. So a quick question from the audience. Lorraine asked about, you know, How is it different as a Black-owned business? Is it better or worse?
2: Oh, my. Um, (laughs) You know, I really try to have a very open perspective. Um, So I'm going to put that out there, to be honest. What I find is that people come with their personal context. I don't think that I found that there were um, overt problems, but I do think that some people come with their personal context. For example, uh, one of our... um, top products is our bronzer tint. The reason is that it's like a light, it gives a light um, glow to the skin. It's not totally translucent, but it's a very light glow. It's not heavy pigment. I have spoken with some buyers who said, well, people don't wanna be tan all year. They don't wanna have, you know, bronzer is not gonna be a top product here. And they represented a multinational chain. I think they're wrong because everywhere I go, when we demo the bronzer, I come back and there are orders on my site. People want it on site. Why? Because they want that soft glow. You can mix it with your moisturizer. You can mix it with your foundation. It's not giving heavy pigment, but it gives a glow to the skin. I think people have that perspective though. I only use bronzer for in the summer, right? Because, okay. And I try to explain to them to some of my African-American customers, um, they really appreciate the product. Um, That's one example where I see sometimes there can be challenges, especially in beauty conceptualizing where the avenues are. Um, I don't think that when I look at um, across the channel of opportunities, I think that that's fewer. Um, I think that that may only represent um, 20% of the challenge. I think, honestly speaking, what happens is that when you approach small box, your main challenge is just getting all the attention of the manager or the owner, right? And it's not that hard. You can go in person, you can write a letter. We write personal letters, um, not the whole letter personal, but we, if I, if I send a letter out um, and I've just did, we did a bunch of like hotel spa letters and then I'll sign it and put a little personal note at the bottom. I get responses to those. I actually get more responses to those than if I send emails out um, to be honest because we emailed that same exact list. But my thought is that I think, I don't know that I see a lot of challenges when dealing with retailers um, that are obvious um, as a black business. What I do think though, is when you look at funding, what um, has happened you know, in the pandemic in 2020, there was like a big bolus of interest and um, African American businesses in some places feel like they've checked this box, like we invested in a lot of these Black businesses in these sectors. And so some of them are doing well and some are not, right? And so then what the, they'll come back and say when you speak to um, some of the venture capital, well, you know, a lot, of, we, we invested in a couple of these, a lot of these, some of these businesses are not doing well. Why? I'm still confused. Only 2%, I'd like to say one, but only 2% really. Of businesses that you're funding really are represented by african-american businesses so the two or three that you put some money in and maybe they're not doing as well um you know and they probably are still in the startup phase if you just funded them in 2021 or 2020. i i don't know if that represents all but this is some of the ways you know that can be looked at it and i think it just looks at money and you know when you get to banking and maybe not banking so much i don't want to put that stereotype but i do want to put in that um, the way that I look at it as a perspective, we're going after all customers. So I don't speak for all African-American beauty customers. We do have um, African-American beauty customers and I love that and our brand is for them. It's also for women and we do a lot of women initiatives and I believe we can empower women through beauty. And I think that when I approach it at that perspective, I'm able to connect with people who understand and get it at that level. Are there challenges? Um, Occasionally people will let you know what their thoughts are. Um, I don't know if they mean anything by it. I think that um, it represents, again, maybe a 10 or 15% of what I've seen, but it is there.
0: Okay. All right. No, that's great. That's great. Um, So one thing that's always a challenge here is... An hour seems like a long time, but it really isn't. It goes so
2: fast. It (laughs) does.
0: So we're we're, we're bumping up on the hour. But, you know, given that we're not on TV and a show is coming on right after us, you know, sometimes we steal a couple extra minutes. And, um, you know, one key thing that I ask everyone at the end, because, you know, we cover so many different um, valuable lessons that, you know, it can be overwhelming for people. So if you could think about, you know, if you're going to take away anything from what we said, what are the three key things that you should take away that you can put to work immediately um, to improve and benefit your business? So take take a minute. I'm going to just... um, Take a quick minute and um, share a little bit um, and then we'll come back to you and we'll let you share, you know, three things, three, three things that you want people to take away so that they can use what you shared um, tomorrow to help their. Okay. cool. Okay. excellent. So um, while, you know, Tanel's doing that, I just want to also just let people know. Um, You may be be familiar, you may not, but um, I have written three books and um, something you may want to consider. Definitely knowledge is key and the gift of knowledge could be helpful. So, you know, even if it's not for you, if there's someone you know that's in business or going into business, um, definitely something to to consider. You know, it took me five years to write my first book and I've worked with over a thousand business owners one on one. So, just wanted to share a lot of valuable insights. And just a quick overview um, we'll take a one minute video and I'll put a link in the chat. So, if that's something of interest, feel free to click the link and um, we'll be back with Tanel shortly. My first book is Running Your Small Business Like a Pro. And really, that took me five years to write. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, your first book, as you know, right, is right. the hardest one. Right, exactly. exactly. Um, Wait, let me take a... But yeah. it really um, took the work of working with 500 plus business owners. So 500. And, wow, that's great. Um, Looked at the patterns that I've seen and really broke down the things that they needed to know mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, how did they get where they are now? Mm-hmm. What's their most important job as a business owner? Mm-hmm. Um, what is their greatest fear? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then. You know, is it your employees, or are you crazy? Because you know definitely managing people is a challenge right, um, right. for small businesses. and just you know important things about financing and retirement, all those things that you need to know as a business owner, mm-hmm. but you know where would you have learned them? Who's teaching you that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so many business owners don't know those things. <laughs> okay so welcome back I'm here with Tanil and you know we're talking small business we had a great chat on merchandising strategies and um has been thinking of um you know some key things and some key takeaways for you about the conversation about merchandising and um so Tanil, take it away what what's your okay
2: um all right i thought about your question um and i think the three things i would leave everyone with are the customer journey the most important part of merchandising is you want to walk that journey and see what about the product as well as what in the store and even on your online store that counts is actually prompting the customer to make a purchase And so if it's a store, you want to get into a retail store, even your small box stores, right? Walk the store, see what customers are doing, come back on different days, see what the competition looks like and kind of live that customer journey and see how you can incorporate your key learnings into your merchandising plan. I think the other part of it is knowing your margins, right? We talked about being prepared for the the large retail presentation, um, excuse me, the large retail percentage as well as small box and um, your store and sales that you'll offer. And also being able to, um, in your margins, um, absorb minor um, increases in product. And then I think it increases in, well, yes, if you're purchasing from manufacturers, increases in product mainly because of increases of materials that we've been seeing um, so often that it's prevalent. And then the last thing is research, right? Understanding the trends in your industry and also, Understanding, you know, not just the trends of what customers are doing, but also the cost to acquire a customer, backing up everything that you're estimating um, into your cost and into your marketing plan, into your business plan, really, um, with actual research and staying on top of research. I read research um, two or three times a week on beauty, and I think it's invaluable, especially if you're a startup. There you have it.
0: Okay, very powerful. So, you know, definitely the customer journey. no matter what business you're in, that should be important. Um, you know, the devils are the details. You know, if any one one point true. of the journey doesn't work for the customer, you lose your sale.
2: That's true. That's so, very valid.
0: Um, so so definitely that that's a great, great thing um that people should do your margins, because you're in business to make money and um you know you gotta watch your margins and make sure they're what you thought they would be. Um, Many times they aren't. And, um, you know, that's not a good thing. And then (laughs) finally, um, you know, understand the trends of your industry Um, research. Um, You know, definitely knowledge and understanding is key. Um, Business is competitive. And, you know, you really need to do your homework if you're going to be successful. Um, Is that, you know, basically what the key things that you want people to take away and understand?
2: Yes, absolutely, you captured everything.
0: Okay, all right, excellent. So definitely, you know, we appreciate everybody's comments, everybody's questions. Um, Tenille, thank you so much for joining me this evening.
2: Um, Thank you for having me, Andrew, this was amazing.
0: It was a pleasure, I I like your energy. Um, You know, you've obviously done some great things and learned a lot in the process, and you know we'll have to you know continue our conversation because I'm sure there was so much more you could share easily uh, that would be helpful for people. So we'll have to chat about that uh, afterwards. But um, hang on a minute while I close it out, and then um, you know we'll continue to chat. So okay, always remember and make sure that you know that the more that you know the faster and more successfully your business will grow.
1: Thank you for listening to Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com.